Hi, my name is Dissi Obanda and you are listening to Lex Pandemonium. Lex being Latin for law and pandemonium being chaos. Whether it is in meeting the commercial world's need for creative solutions in drafting contracts, the legalities of wage bill management, or the grungy details of law governing curfews and authorities using mandatory quarantine as prison, Lex Pandemonium is here to help you be in the know about the law. And if you have questions or need more information, well, feel free to drop a comment and we'll try our best to get you what you need. Part of the Kenyan government's response to the economic effects of COVID-19 has been in the form of amendments to the Kenyan tax regime. In this episode, we speak to Lena Onchwari, a tax law expert, about the Tax Laws Amendment Act and the takeaways from the legislation for individuals, corporates and SMEs. You want to listen in. So Lena, in this COVID-19 time, how has your work from home experience been like? Um, it's it's actually been a good experience for me. Um, I must say it's enabled me to not only be able to plan my time because you know you're not working the usual eight to five. You're pretty much working on the basis of deliverables and targets that you set for yourself or um, the organization has set for me. It it uh, it has been a good experience. Um, I kind of find myself more productive working from home, less distractions. Um, I guess from meetings and calls coming in and, um, you know, colleagues stepping into your office. Um, So I find it very productive, very efficient, but it also takes a lot of uh, discipline to actually get work done and and to meet um, my targets. And as a mother, it's also helped me spend quite a bit of time with with my daughter. So that's also a plus for it. So it's really been an enjoyable um, experience for me. As an organization, um, mm-hmm. what sorts of technology uh, have you been using to, you know, for business continuity in this time? Well, um, so at Aurora, we have, we have um, sort of, let me call it a database where all our files, letters, pleadings, anything that is served on us is, is saved. So everything is saved in sort. A sort of case so, management system? Yeah, so a document management system. Okay. So it doesn't matter where I'm working from, especially now that we are all working from home. I can be able to access um, whatever information, whatever documents that I need to, to get my work done. Even for purposes of court, it's been very easy because now you're aware that we're doing courts online. Yes. Yes. So if I need to probably cross-reference with a document um, or look for something that the court maybe would not have a copy, then it's easy for me to just log on to the system and, and, and be able to now brief the court on that. So it's it's really make, made our work easier because uh, you can imagine if you have uh, records and records of appeals and pleadings and submissions to work on, then you don't really necessarily have to have the whole bunch of documents but what you just need to do is to be able to log into the 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 system and get your work done what about your collaboration and your your meetings what apps or you know what have you been using are you microsoft teams are you zoom Uh, internally we're using teams but in cases where a client does not have teams then we use zoom 
those are the two key apps that we're using at the moment and it's been going on very well I must say it's an experience altogether because we're even having internal trainings on teams which has been amazing so going forward do you think that perhaps your organization or other law firms um, mm. should take up more remote working i think the time has come where people would have to work in unconventional ways it it has become evident that you know you don't necessarily have to have all your employees in the office at the same time to get work done the way uh, things have been going it it's has really been an eye opener Mm-hmm. for a lot of um companies and employers um let's wait and see how how things go when all this is over now to the meat of the matter you are a, a tax lawyer a tax expert and there have been amendments to the law in Kenya yeah initiated by the executive for purposes mm-hmm. of cushioning the Kenyan public from the effects of COVID-19. But the Law Society of Kenya gave recommendations to the government of Kenya regarding um, these uh, tax amendments. What, mm-hmm. in your position, do you think is the role of a lawyer in advising government? Well, uh, this is, at, at the time, uh, an advocate takes an oath. You you swear to abide by the constitution and to be an officer of the court and, you know, render your duties to, you know, service and to the country. Yeah? Yes. So as lawyers, we play a key role in policy formulation, formulation not just for tax, but I think in, in many other areas, aspects of, of, of our country. And so just to bring it to perspective uh, on the tax amendments law, I think the LSK uh, played a very key role in in terms of giving input. Um, Also, other professional bodies like the ISPAC played a very key role. And as lawyers, when it comes to the government um, and and giving advice, first of all, the people who actually draft the legislation are lawyers. So that's (laughs) there are some of us who are within government and advising government on that. Yes. But those of us who are on the outside, whose clients and businesses are probably going to be affected by some of these policy formulations, by giving feedback to the LSK as a body and channeling that to to and, and making those representation to parliament, we play a very key role. Because we are looking at it not just from the aspect of the law, but from the aspect of what effect this would be would have, not only to lawyers but to other members of the society whom we happen to represent. So, I think lawyers play a very pivotal role when it comes to policy formulation, and it's good that you know, um, as part of public participation, we are all given that opportunity to to give that feedback and have those discussions uh, with Parliament. Lena, would you? Just take us generally through the process of tax legislation in Kenya. Our understanding is that every amendment in tax or whatever tax people pay in the Republic has to be in a bill and it has to go through Parliament and be assented to. Mm -hmm. Is that the general process? And what happens in a time such as this when parliament is on recess what sort of process would the executive go through for an amend um, an amendment statute to come about so this is the, the just as any other legislation um tax law has to go through the normal legislative process in parliament which is the first reading then that's followed by the second reading then a third reading 
And then in between there is public participation, which is now where uh, professional bodies, um, sectors that may be affected by some of these tax changes um, have to give um, the feedback and, and engage parliament. And then after the third reading, when it's been approved by parliament, then it goes to the president for assent. But for certain um, aspects of tax, there are certain provisions under the Income Tax Act and uh, the Excise Duty Act where the minister or the cabinet secretary of finance may alter certain rates of, of taxation or may declare anyone to some certain organizations to be exempt. Um, but of course, those ones are by way of gazette notice, which no, is not necessarily a parliamentary process. So depending on the provision of, of the law that is being amended and under what statute that provision is being amended, there are certain cases where the minister just by issuing a gazette notice and of course um, getting parliamentary approval can actually make amendments to a tax statute. So it depends on whether it's an amendment to a whole statute, like now the Income Tax Act Amendment Act, which is which is expected to be enacted soon, or to go so soon, or certain aspects of, of the act. Mostly for indirect taxes, um, excise duty to be specific, and that would be in regards to the rates of, of, of um, taxation or the rates that are applicable to certain products. So it, it basically depends on, on what is being amended. Okay, so just to clarify, yeah. is it mm. is it a matter of whether it's the entire statute being amended vis-a-vis a clause, or is it that there's a particular class of 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 taxes where the minister can can make amendments without going through parliament? Well, at least for for the income tax act. Um, that is usually amended through the Finance Act or now um, for special or, or, or certain kind of scenarios, like now we had uh, Income Tax Act being amended through the Tax Law Amendment Act. That has to go through the parliamentary process. However, um, when it comes to what I'm sure about is the Excise Duty Act, like for instance, the CS can amend the rates of excise duty that are applicable on the basis of inflationary rate that is currently in place in the in, in the country. So there are certain clauses um, in the Excise Duty Act um, that allow the minister, by way of a gazette notice, to change the rate of tax. But mostly when it comes to um, amendments of the Income Tax Act or direct taxes, then that has to be through parliamentary process. It's a mix of both, depending on what is being amended. So in this... Yeah case just with reference to the tax amendment statute originated by the executive to cushion yes. the public in this covid time seeing as the parliament was on recess what sort of process happened for this mm. particular amendment to come about i mean they had to be called back in session okay. because that is the only way the the, the act would be legalized so there's no way that we would have had the tax. There's no other option that, that the executive had in terms of getting the act um, come into force. It still had to go through the parliamentary process. So they had to go back into session for that. Tax is often seen as a complicated topic. Would you mind breaking down for us in a very simple way what the takeaways are from this amendment statute 
that has gone through parliament, what is it that the state is saying to individuals and what is the state saying to SMEs or small businesses about the kinds of taxes that are due from them at this point in time? Okay, um, so um, from the beginning, you will notice that the president was keen on trying to support businesses and, and more specifically to enhance liquidity. Yes. And you can only enhance liquidity by one, reducing tax burden of people and, and corporates. And secondly, by you know ensuring that now government keeps money moving. And that's why he was emphasizing that parastatals and government should now ensure that any payments that are pending or outstanding to private institutions should be should be made, yeah? Yes. That what that was just a way of ensuring liquidity. In terms of the tax uh, amendment act, now for let me start with corporate income tax, which is basically the tax that is due from, from companies that are resident in Kenya and that have earned income in Kenya, the rates have reduced from thirty percent to twenty five percent for for resident companies. From the corporate tax perspective, then that means a company has an additional 5% of disposable income or money they can play around with and use to still keep running, yeah? Okay. From an individual perspective, the highest graduated scale has been reduced from 30% to 25%. So this is pay as you earn? This is pay as you earn, yes. So for purposes of pay as you earn, the income tax bracket that fall within the graduated scale not only went up from uh, about 49,000 to 57, meaning less people fall within that bracket, but also the rate that was applicable at that um, highest graduated scale went down from 30% to 25%. Again, people have more disposable income because you're paying less tax. Over and above that, the president sort of moved the minimum wage, which was 14,000. So anyone earning 14,000 and less was not liable to pay as you want. But now that has gone up to 24,000 and below. So if anyone who earns 24,000 and below is not subjected to to pay as you want, again, he has enabled people to have more disposable income by paying less taxes. Now for um, SMEs, um, you'll appreciate that one, uh, SMEs, pretty much are more on the consumer or or it's it their turnovers are not too high yes so it's, it's all connected so if i pay high pye and probably um I'm, I'm, I'm right now even very few people are have the certainty of having any income because of business have gone down yes i do not have money to now go and um, procure the services or buy any goods from any company sme or not right yes meaning their turnovers are low. But that not only ensures that SMEs get sales, but now what the government has done, it is it has reduced the turnover taxes from 3% to 1%. Turnover taxes were applicable for, for anyone who was earning um, between, I'll have to confirm, between 500,000 to a million. I'll, I'll confirm that. Mind explaining what turnover tax is? It's pretty much a tax that is uh, due from small businesses, which now that that includes the SMEs. And it's a tax on their gross sales. But for a a company or an SME to fall within this uh, category, um, one, it's a business that does not expect to have any income that goes beyond 5 million. 
a year. But remember, it's business. It's for businesses. It does not cover corporates. The difference here between business and corporates is in how the business was incorporated. It's, it's incorporated, yes. Yes. So, so it's not it's not a limited liability company per se, but it's a business for purposes of running as a company limited. As a company limited, a limited Wonderful. liability company. Wonderful. Um, okay. So the rate that was applicable for turnover taxes was three percent. Three percent on your gross sales for the entire year. Yes. Okay. But now what the Tax Amendment Act has done, it has reduced one turnover taxes can apply to companies whose turnover is between a million and 50 million. So it has now included not just businesses, but also incorporated entities who might opt to now um, um, fall within the turnover tax category. Bracket, okay. And then, of course, now it covers SMEs because now I, I believe quite a number of SMEs um, operate under the umbrella of a corporate entity. So they are now covered under the turnover tax regime, which is um, 1% of their gross sales. And over and above that, the, the penalty for filing or submitting the turnover tax returns has also been reduced from 5000 to 1000 So it's evident that, you know, especially by the amendments in the turnover tax um, rates and, 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 and you know, um, scope, the government has really enabled um, SMEs to just ensure that, you know, they're able to pay less taxes. But even companies which were locked out of, of the turnover tax regime can actually now decide to fall under the turnover, turnover tax, tax regime, regime by virtue of having less turnover. If I'm a little company, company ABC Limited, I've just started out, I'm about maybe three years old and by the end of the year, my sales are under 50 million. Maybe I'm in the 30 million mark. Then uh-huh. now I fall within the bracket of turnover tax. Yes. So that is an yes. option to corporation option. tax. You can still opt to still, because, you know, remember, it's 1% on your gross sales, meaning you're not allowed to offset your operating expenses to arrive at a net profit. So you can opt to, to fall under the turnover tax regime. Or you can just tell the commissioner, um, you know what, I still am comfortable paying corporate income taxes, which is 30%, uh, 25% on my net profits, and that allows me to offset my expenses. So it gives um, SMEs uh, the option of deciding yes. which tax-efficient way to do their, their books and to do their things, but still be compliant uh, with the law. So I think for me, that's, that's a very key development, and that's very beneficial to SMEs. And then, of course, now uh, the value-added tax rate, uh, standard value-added tax rate has been reduced from 16% to 14%, meaning the cost of goods has gone down. Do you mind breaking down, for those who don't understand, what is Uh value-added tax? They see VAT and they have no idea. They know that it's a cost they need to pay to the government, Uh but they have no idea what it is or what it is for. It's basically a, a tax that is payable on, on, on supply of goods and services. And it's, it, it's a cost that is incurred by the customer. And that's why it's called an indirect tax. As much as I am the one who makes payment, being the consumer of that product, you're the one who bears uh, the tax burden. So that makes it an indirect tax. And further with the explanations, mm-hmm. what does it mean for a a good or a service to be exempt uh, 
And mm-hmm. what's the difference between that and being zero rated? So exempt goods means you are not liable to pay VAT. Exempt goods are set out in the first schedule of the VAT Act 2013. Zero rated goods and services are in the second schedule, meaning VAT is due but at a zero rate. Effectively, you do not pay any VAT. But the distinction comes in when um, you're filing your VAT return. For an exempt person or an exempt service, you are not allowed to offset any input VAT. But for zero-rated um, supplies, then you can offset your VAT against your zero-rate, um, 0% output VAT. So that's pretty much the difference. But the Act clearly sets out what is exempt and what is zero-rated. If a product does not fall or a service does not fall within either of those, then it means it's a, it's a standard um, VAT is payable at a standard rate, which is now 14%. Thank you very much for that clarification. Yes, and you were telling us about some of the of the advantages, I guess, that an individual or an SME has now, um, thanks to the amendment statute. And we were talking about now value-added tax. Yeah, so for value-added tax, the, the rate has, the standard rate has been reduced to um, 14%, um, previously it was 16%. Again, this means that now the cost of goods and services has considerably gone down. Um, and this will, of course, enable not just the SMEs, but, but other Kenyans or other persons who are consumers of goods to be able to afford them at a cheaper rate, resulting in higher liquidity. So you can see that all most of these amendments are just geared towards ensuring that there's money circulating and to get the economy going. Um, but for me, the reduction of the, the VAT rate uh, not only reduces even the, the input costs, the costs that SMEs incur for purposes of buying maybe raw materials or, or, or getting services, to be able to now sell a final product has gone down by 2%. For an individual who is looking at um, the calendar and it's almost 30th of June, and they need mm-hmm. to have filed their returns by 30th of June. Is there anything additional that they need to know, something that has changed because of this tax amendment statute? For purposes of compliance and procedure, the, the amendment statute did not um, make any amendments in terms of the timelines for filing returns. Of course, other than reducing the penalties for some of these things like turnover tax um, returns, when it comes to individuals, the deadline is still 30th of June. My advice is do it as soon as you can because it's just 2019. It has nothing to do with the developments that came into force effective 1st January 2020. So most of these amendments will now come to fill them when we are filing returns for 2020, and that is next year, um, 30th June. So my advice is um, get your returns done. Of course, we have the iTax platform where people can do that online. No need to go to the carrier offices. You just need to log on to your machine, uh, to your laptop online and, and log into your account and file your returns. And the earlier you do that, the better before the system is clogged. How long does the Mwananji or the Kenyan have relief based on this um, tax amendment bill? Is this because the country's budget is often read in June of the year? Is there a possibility that the finance bill, 
which forms the budget of the country, is there a possibility that the provisions therein would maybe perhaps countermand whatever is in the tax amendment bill that is provisional and that was specific to the COVID period? The finance bill already is is out. It's still um, being discussed. And just by a look at it, you'll notice that most of the provisions in the Tax Amendment Act have been reflected in the finance bill. So I don't think, um, just considering the current situation, and of course this will have um, an adverse economic um, impact even going forward. We're not sure when, as a country, we'll go back to work um, um, full-time or go back to running our businesses full-time and how long it will take for businesses to actually recover. So um, I think it's for now that the amendments that have been introduced in the Tax Amendment Act will still um, be in place and, and they will still also be reflected in the Finance Act of 2020, which is now, I think, at pub- public hearing stage. It's now at the, at the stage where people are giving their inputs. Absolutely. Thank you. Maybe finally you could tell us as a tax lawyer, what sorts of issues do you foresee your current clients having that are related to tax law post-COVID? I think post-COVID, it's going to be an interesting time um, because one, there will be a lot of challenges in terms of compliance issues, especially for me, in, installment taxes should you declare uh, that you are not a profit-making institution. So basically, installment taxes is basically a tax that um, is paid in advance on the basis that you anticipate that you'll be making um, profits for that year and you pay it per, per quarter. But now with the COVID uh, pandemic, most companies and, mo- and most businesses are not sure they will actually be in a profit-making position. So therefore, then the question is, should I still pay installment taxes, which are a tax in advance and which are computed in 2019 December on the basis that um, I believe that I will make profit or should I avoid making those installment taxes because I believe I'll be making losses or should I just take the risk and say, you know, if if, um, I have to now pay penalties, it's a lesser evil. So there has been, and there's going to be a lot of especially confusion when it comes to some of these uh, taxes, mostly income tax issues. Um, At least for PAYE, there was a bit of clarity because the other issue uh, around PAYE, pay as you earn, was um, at what point uh, was the rate applicable? Should, should, Should I pay my employees end of April? Or should I delay the salaries and take and, and, and wait for the, the new rate to come into force? So those are the small kind of small teething problems that we're going to experience. But um, I, I think the, the law is very clear in the sense that um, there, I, I don't anticipate any um, lacunas or any uncertainties or ambiguities around the amendments introduced by the Act. However, I feel there might be um, quite a bit of tax disputes um, because, of course, the, the government would require tax revenues. Yes. And um, I, I, I'm really waiting to see how that pans out because, one, as you are aware, um, the Tax Appeals Tribunal is not sitting. And the Tax Appeals Tribunal chair that was proposed by the CS has been contested. Chances are we don't know how that will go. 
but he does not fit the qualifications of who um, qualifies to head the tribunal. Exactly. So not only are we already having a backlog of disputes, we are already experiencing a lot of uncertainties. And you will notice that when government needs revenue, tax is the key source for the country's revenue to you know for the country to keep running so then the question is if um taxpayers did not comply with the tax laws then chances are um the the care is going to take really serious measures and you've seen also with the amendments that you know now even a whistleblower is going to um is is entitled to i think five hundred thousand just for for purposes of disclosing that you know DC has been evading taxes. Well, I I I did know that, but that's good to know now. <laughs> Companies will be playing their cards very very close I, I, to their I, chests now. <laughs> that Kerry is now putting in place measures to not only ensure compliance, but to be able to now nab non-compliance and to to you know bring them to book. Um, businesses will be focusing on, okay, how do we recover? How do we try to catch up? How do we get back on our feet? And I believe the government will also be doing so. So tough times ahead for corporates. Tough times ahead. I, I, tough times ahead. But I mean, we are Kenyans. We'll, we'll get through it. We'll be fine. And my advice has always been, if, if you're able to just um, do things right, then do it right. If for some reason there's been a dispute and misunderstanding um, between you and Carrie, of course, there are the options of going to the TAT, going to court, but there's also the option of, of, of having um, alternative dispute resolution and actually having those discussions. So, um, interesting times, yes. Um, at least in terms of, of uh, the Tax Law Amendment Act, I think people have now sort of settled. Um, it, it was a bit uncertain, especially before um, the bill was assented into law. But now, I think people have settled and it's very clear what the way forward is. I think also it, it would be interesting to see now the impact of the Finance Act on, on the amendments of the Tax Law Amendment Act. Thank you so much, Lena. Thank you very much for your time and for breaking down for us um, something that's you know often confusing and baffling, just making it um, a bit easier for us to understand what uh, tax law holds for us in this time. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Lena. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. How do you feel? Good. <laughs> Wasn't so bad. Yeah.